Welcome to We Fight For That from the Public Interest Advocacy Centre. My name is John Lawford, and I'm the Executive Director and General Counsel at PIAC. If you want lower cell phone bills, if you want a refund from a flight you couldn't take, or if you want to be treated better by your bank, we fight for that. Time for another round of consumer protection. Okay, welcome to episode 27 of We Fight For That. And today we have a discussion of the Rogers and Shaw deal yet again, because it's not quite finished. And there have been some exciting developments over the holidays that you might have missed when you were waddling from the presents to the turkey to the couch. Um, and uh, if you're a normal person and you weren't a weirdo like like we were here in the office following these revelations on days before Christmas and then just before New Year's and just after. Um, but to bring us up to date and to really give us uh, an interesting perspective is, again, Ben Class, who's both a PIAC board member and PhD candidate at Carleton. Um, so welcome again, Ben, onto the podcast. Thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Happy holidays. And uh, like you, I'm a bit of a nerd. So like, I got a a bit of a lump of coal, I think, from the competition tribunal over the holidays with this decision, unfortunately, approving the merger. Yeah. Well, you've given away the game, but that's okay. I think people will know by now. So uh, to bring people up to date, sometime in December, there were noises being made uh, in the press that um, the Rogers and Shaw decision was going to come out before the holidays. And this is on the heels of the hearing of the actual challenged by the Competition Bureau of the Roger Shaw merger in front of the Competition Tribunal. I'm not sure that people understand that that was what was happening, um, that there was actually a hearing going on during, I guess it was November and December, or was it December only, Ben? Do you remember? A lot of evidence was entered during November. Right. They took a little break after the various parties, the competition bureau itself, Rogers, Shaw, Videotron, all entered evidence and cross-examined each other's witnesses. And then this sort of real public-facing, put a bow on it, arguments came uh, two weeks before Christmas. It was an actual oral hearing with cross-examination of witnesses, just like a court case and everything in front of the competition tribunal. And the the odd thing about our law is that the competition commissioner brings the case to try to block the merger in front of the competition tribunal, and it can get a little bit confusing for people. But it's a quasi-judicial independent, so they say, um, tribunal that hears, um, hears competition complaints from the commissioner and decides whether a merger can go ahead. And so there were these two weeks of oral hearings, which I believe were broadcast over Zoom, but there were a limited number of people who could watch. And I never got a chance to actually do. Did you get a chance to watch or listen to any of the proceedings, Ben? I sort of imagine this whole thing like an episode of Law and Order with the Competition Bureau being like Ice T walking the beat and uh, arresting the criminals. And then the Competition Tribunal being the section of the episode where they go to court. But once I got there, I think my imagination was somewhat uh, disappointed because a lot of the actual hearing was held confidentially. Uh -huh. So for the people people who tuned in, uh, I wasn't uh, one of them for the better part of November and part of December. We spent a lot of time staring at a blank screen, working on other things, and then occasionally they'd pop up to say, okay, the confidence 
confidential sessions over. Uh, Rogers and Shaw, bring your next witness. So, okay, we're going back into a confidential session. So it was really drips and drabs. And what, what was reported on in the media, I think, by and large, covered what the public would have seen if they tuned in. Yeah, no, I, uh, I did get a chance to chat to a journalist who was uh, taking a break between, um, between sessions when they were in not hiding in camera, but were actually doing the public hearing and uh, starting to talk about something. And then suddenly they came back and she had to scoot. Um, but what you're talking about is times during the hearing of this challenge to the merger where basically what the companies think is confidential information about their operations come up business information and they don't want the public or competitors to know and the judge in the case uh, or the tribunal as a whole will say sure we're not going to let the public know about this and it gets reflected in the decision so i'm holding the rogers shaw competition tribunal decision which is hefty enough it's you know in the sort of 80 pages realm and there's one <laughs> there's one page page 72 which is completely black because it's been redacted that is pretty reflective of a lot of the the rest of the decision where a number of pages have you know blocks of paragraphs or at least words and and figures that are blacked out so so we don't quite know what the compelling evidence was but the as ben gave away the game the the end result was the competition tribunal did approve the merger in the sense of uh dismissing the competition commissioner's challenges to it but in in that simple statement, there's a world of of things going on. And one of the first ones I think I want to raise is like what exactly they were fighting over. It's since come out after the fact that they were fighting over what exactly the deal was. And the result seems to be that the competition tribunal was of the mind that they were talking about Rogers giving freedom wireless that part of their business to Videotron and the rest going from Shaw to them and the competition commissioner saying, no, no, we're talking about the original deal, which was just all of Shaw, including freedom being given to Rogers. Did when you were watching it, Ben did that, that sort of difference of opinion between the tribunal and the um and i suppose rogers and the competition commissioner seemed to come up or was that something that only reared its head that issue after the hearing that was a subject of some debate during during the process with the competition commissioner in particular their senior lawyer john tyhurst i think sticking quite squarely to uh the bureau's position which was they're looking at the merger that Rogers and Shaw initially proposed, seeing if there's any anti-competitive effects to that. And if there are, which the commissioner was alleging, then they were going to be looking at uh, this question of whether divesting some of the more anti-competitive aspects of the merger would address that problem that the Bureau had. Whereas the people from Rogers the people from Shaw and the people from Videotron were kind of trying to cast that position as uh, an anachronism that the deal had moved beyond that. And so there was no point in talking about uh, the original merger. And I think that in the end, the tribunal largely agreed, actually. And that forms the basis that the Bureau is appealing this decision, not 
on the merits of the decision, but because the tribunal, they allege, went about it the wrong way. The way that I understand it's supposed to work under the law is that the original merger gets challenged and then the bureau itself uh, has a role in determining the sufficiency of a remedy. Whereas in this case, it's kind of like Rogers and Shaw were able to sidestep uh, the Bureau's role in determining whether the remedy itself uh, was going to be good enough. If I was at the Bureau, I would be upset about the precedent that that could potentially set for future mergers if the company can sort of pull a bait and switch where they say, here's our anti-competitive merger, and then at the 11th hour, offer some remedy that there hasn't been time to properly scrutinize before a tribunal uh, that, quite frankly, I don't think is equipped to properly assess these types of complex deals, then that's not going to deliver good outcomes in the future. A lot there to unpack, but basically, dear listener, the um, the competition tribunal did take this away uh, after the two weeks of oral hearings that Ben's talking about just before the holidays, uh, and they finished up. I believe the week before the week before the holiday started and by the 30th, 29th, 30th, some, somewhere in there around the midnight hour, um, they had released the decision to the, the, at least a summary, excuse me, of the decision uh, so that uh, there was still a day before uh, or New Year's Eve to come and, uh, and say they had done, done their competition tribunal decision before the end of the year, which was one thing that Rogers originally had wanted. And then we got the full reasons just after New Year's. But along along the time from the time people were toasting each other at, at New Year's to sometime on the 1st of January, the the competition commissioner appear, appears to have been so mad that he, he filed his appeal uh, instantly, uh, such that the, he got a uh, an emergency suspension of the competition tribunal's decision before the reasons even came out i believe and on the 2nd of january is that right ben something like that and the drama was that the decision came out so quickly after the oral argument and the other written materials that ben was talking about you know a mere 15 days um and then within a day or two the competition commissioner had filed a formal appeal to the federal court of appeal uh, which is where you go after the competition tribunal uh, says no. And as Ben has mentioned, it was an appeal on these legal questions, not so much can I have another opinion on blocking it, um, but rather is the way the competition tribunal said no unfair or did it adjudicate something that is not really the issue um, because we don't know which deal we're actually talking about. So, Apologies to the folks that aren't lawyers who aren't finding this to be an eye-glazing waste of time, but that's the kind of drama that we were geeking out with over the holidays. But the effect of all this is simply to have the deal still alive and there being extension, I understand, to the end of January for um, Rogers to close the deal with Shaw before they have to start paying break fees or finding new financing, this sort of thing to continue the deal. And now there is an appeal hearing at the federal court of appeal scheduled because this all happened in the last few days for the 24th of January, which I understand will be uh, 
also available to watch on Zoom. I'm not sure how many people they'll let watch, but that can be done at 9.30 in the morning on the 24th of January. And then then the 31st is the deadline, supposedly, for closing the deal. It's crazy. Is that not strike you as just like a crazy quick timeline, Ben? I mean, certainly the competition commissioner said that it was too, it was decided too quickly in his appeal. I mean, what's your opinion having been, you know, more deeply in the evidence and listening to all the arguments? I think to me, this whole process has been fraught. And the one question it's raised in my mind throughout is who is this process serving? Really, does the competition tribunal want to come out with a decision that is geared towards giving the parties to this process what they want? Or is it trying to come out with the best possible outcome for Canadian society more broadly? Mm -hmm. I think the answer in my mind is pretty clear that the tribunal is more interested in giving the parties what they want uh, than it is with coming out with a decision in the public interest. You know, my experience is mostly with the CRTC, which despite dealing with confidential information all the time, does not release redacted decisions. It releases its decisions uh, with clear explanations. Uh, it, it doesn't always provide every last detail, but it makes sure that they're comprehensible to the public. It takes its time, sometimes frustratingly long, but it takes its time. And I think they're quite concerned uh, about getting the decisions right on the substance as well as the legal niceties. Whereas here we've seen, I think, a helter-skelter process in which promises are made with a mind to ensuring the that Rogers and Shaw uh, will get the best possible outcome with scraps being thrown out to the public and not always the most appetizing ones of that. I'll give you an example, John. Sure. You know, at, at the beginning of the process, when the trial first started and the lawyers for the companies are making their opening statements, both the lawyer for Rogers and the lawyer for Shaw urged the tribunal to conduct its process and issue a decision expediently in order to help the companies avoid potential financial penalties that might accrue if the decision doesn't come through quickly enough. This was reiterated at the end with the chief justice of the tribunal uh, seemingly having taken these requests quite seriously, suggesting that they would hurry with their decision and make sure to get it out in order to avoid those penalties. Now, my understanding is that those penalties are largely self-imposed. You know, yeah. if Rogers, Shaw, Videotron agree to extend, then they extend. You know, and there may be some issue as to making sure that the type of uh, credit that is required to finance this deal goes through, but I think there is a sufficient interest to ensure that it does, that a slight delay uh, after a process that I think has been handicapped in favor of the party since the beginning would be unlikely to unravel the deal uh, from where I sit. But nevertheless, the tribunal did rush its decision out. You know, there was tens of thousands of pages of evidence entered, and it was the closing arguments wrapped up on the 14th of December. The decision came out on a Thursday night, December 29th, during a hockey game before New Year's Eve. <laughs> the tribunal itself had indicated on its website that it would be issuing 24 to 48 hours of notice before it issued any decision. It didn't do that. I think journalists I spoke to were caught by surprise, scrambling before the New Year's weekend to make sense of this decision. And it was the decision that they they issued on 
the night of the 29th, they said, we dismiss the commissioner's application. This merger is going to be allowed as far as we're concerned, and we'll issue our reasons later. I think that that distinction is pretty clear. You know, they, they, they said what they had decided, and they said they would provide within 48 hours to the public the reasons for making that decision. Well, the M&A lawyers were popping their champagne a little early this New Year's, I think, having received the decision on the Thursday before Saturday's New Year's Eve. And that 48 hours elapsed without the commissioner releasing any decision to the public. It wasn't until the Monday morning that they did release their decision. And so, you know, I think administrative tribunals, courts and administrative tribunals are supposed to represent themselves as being neutral, uh, as objectively balancing arguments and evidence and coming out with a decision uh, that adheres strictly to uh, the law and uh, principles of justice. But the way that this process has been conducted in my mind is a stark reminder of the political nature of these types of decisions, of the inescapably political nature of these types of decisions. Any tribunal that releases a decision on Thursday night before New Year's uh, is strategizing. They're politicking with the release of that decision. It was going to be unpopular, and why not bury it on a weekend when no one other than people who are involved are paying attention? It has that smell about it, and the competition commissioner uh, made much of the difference in the amount of deliberation time in this case, which is a large one, compared to the you know the average competition tribunal proceeding, including one about a single grain elevator that took over two years. <laughs> To decide, and you know, their average run at the competition tribunal is about a year, or you know, at least six months, six months to a year to to come up with written reasons for a decision. And yet, this what they called information note, which is what what came out on the 29th, uh, You're right, without as much notice as they said they were going to give, um, and is a decision because it says they hereby dismiss the commissioner's application. Absolutely correct, and that's why they competition commissioner was able to do an appeal by the first right um yeah it does have a bad smell and i i certainly felt the same way even if there is no bias or um let's just say inappropriate wish to to follow one of the party's timelines in making the decision then certainly there's a reasonable apprehension of that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Because it looks bad. And you're quite right. That that seems political. It certainly has a political effect in that something that which could be embarrassing for the present government, which is in charge of telecommunications uh, or any other corporate, let's call it corporate responsibility being held to account by the media and so on. And, and just by consumers, it's not a great time to try to get your message through just before the ball drops. So, um, so I agree with you there. It certainly has that perception. And what we've ended up with uh, is a situation where in the short term, there's going to be some uncertainty, right? So you'll still have freedom uh, being offered for a short while, no matter how this goes. And you're also going to have, you're going to have the the big players in the positions they're in, at least until the end of January. But after that, things could change quickly. And uh, what what might happen is that if the appeal is dismissed and the competition commissioner takes no more action, in other words, doesn't appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada or otherwise seek the government's help, if you will, in not approving, say, the ultimate spectrum transfer to, I guess, Videotron, 
then we're going to have a different market starting in February. We're going to have Videotron starting a new effort with the customers and the network and some agreements with Rogers to support them of freedom. In other words, if you're a freedom customer in, in Calgary, suddenly you'll be a, a Videotron customer in Calgary on February 1st. And whether that company gets renamed or is grown or shrinks or adds new services will start in as soon as February. And, and that's, that's the end result. So consumers probably won't see anything for a month, but we might all of a sudden see some big changes if the deal is approved at that time. I just find it interesting that we end up having, and here I'm getting more into the substance of what's going to, on the assumption that something like that is going to happen, that we're going to move from having had Shaw with freedom as a choice for many consumers in Ontario, Alberta and BC, where they tend to have their coverage and their their cell phones are are sort of offered as home cell phones in those places you'll have videotron and it's not going to be that different and i guess what i found intriguing and to be fair to the competition tribunal their reasoning was well it seemed to be at least well before we you guys had freedom as a fourth player in some of these markets and after you'll have videotron and they're kind of the same because they're cable based you know they're regional cable based competitors that can support a wireless company so why why are you whining like the the decision kind of says what's well, the same before and afterwards it's not so different that that the test in the competition act is even triggered so of course we're going to approve it and when i read through the competition tribunal decision i thought you know, hate to admit it, they're kind of right on that. And that's really sad because what they're saying is the market is so bad, it can't really get any worse. It's kind of super concentrated and divided amongst three and the and the the fourth player is sort of marginal and will likely remain marginal and the prices will remain where they are. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what's wrong with this? Like they're saying we can't do anything in that situation. And I can't help but feel like we're missing out on a chance to have made it better. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, did you did you follow that reasoning? You know what I'm, what I'm saying is that seems to be the the ratio of the decision of the competition tribunal is like, well, the test says we only block this if it gets worse competition, but you're going to have effectively the same thing afterwards. So why is the competition commissioner complaining? Yeah, I think it's interesting how they got to that decision. You know, there's a lot of hedging that uh, takes place in this decision. We believe it will be likely that. Uh, on balance, the odds are, are that. Uh, and a lot of the reasoning that I see in there is based on the competing modeling from an expert hired by the competition tribunal versus an expert hired by Rogers. You know, so the competition tribunal itself is sort of looking at these abstract models of what things look like and what they could look like in the future and the likelihood of those types of things happening and they're balancing which one ultimately they determined that in their view the rogers expert was more credible they certainly didn't like the cut of the competition tribunal the competition bureaus they ultimately the tribunal decided that they liked the arguments of rogers expert better they found the competition bureau's expert to have been evasive and to have not uh, been as forthcoming as they would have liked in some of their answers so what does that say about what the markets will actually look like? Well, I think we're going to have to wait and see. Minister Champagne, who holds the last sort of remaining 
uh, barrier in his hand to this merger had gotten a commitment from Videotron that prices in the places where it expands would have to be more similar to what they are in Quebec uh, today. That's about 20%, I think he says, lower than they are in Alberta, BC, and Ontario. But how you get to that doesn't, I think, necessarily reflect what you or I see on our bills at the end of the month. So the idea that Videotron comes in and starts offering in other provinces plans to look like what it's offering in Quebec today. For some people, that might mean the price goes up, right? So those freedom subscribers who are who are on those promotional plans right now are the the, the good sort of forty or fifty gigabytes for thirty or forty dollar a month plans. Uh, they might have to hold on to those things because I think what what we're likely to see is that those types of discount plans will will disappear. So what you're saying is that the pricing in Quebec is not that exciting. It's it's a slight discount from the national average, so to speak, or maybe a, a Toronto a Toronto plan, but that's not necessarily very good out west because Freedom already has, and maybe in Ontario too, some plans that are are better deals, especially if you're looking for data. And so we shouldn't be rejoicing, and that's actually a step up in pricing. Uh, if nothing else, I was thinking the kind of irony of that is let's take it at that argument at its highest let's say that that videotron does maintain quote unquote quebec pricing across the country which is not guaranteed but let's say they do um and that overall over time does represent a slight discount off the otherwise national price for that carrier it's kind of a like a booby prize it's like a tiny reduction and i i don't know but under the competition act there i guess the argument from the the rogers side is well there you go we we we've kept competition is going to actually be slightly improved uh you'll, there'll be other offers that consumers can choose that are a slight at a slight discount what again what what's what's wrong with you and the tribunal seems to have said yeah that that's exactly what we're talking about and that will be structural for as long as videotron has their spectrum, which I understand they're supposed to keep for 10 years, right? So basically a decade of prices where, meh, if you want to get a few bucks off, you can go to Vitotron. And I guess what you're saying is freedom, with at least with the supposed introductory prices when they first were bought by Shaw, was considerably cheaper. And that those prices, I imagine you'll also say this because I think this is the case, the freedom prices were not comparable to to international or European prices in, in terms of being as low, but they were more in that tendency than, than uh, let's say, average Canadian prices over the years. And that that's what we're losing. And I think that's what the competition commissioner was also trying to argue. Is that is that right? Yeah, you know, John, I think the core, the core issue here is that what we're getting from this decision is the tribunal's handing Rogers the ability to shape the market going forward. They have chosen Videotron as... The successor to freedom. Videotron has willingly accepted that role. And I keep getting to this place where I ask myself, is Rogers in the business of choosing its competitors, of enabling companies to come in and disrupt it? Is it in the business of giving us good deals or is it in the business of making as much money as it possibly can? Oh, I'm guessing it's the latter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the answer is self-evident. Rogers is not in the business of propping up a competitor that's going to come out and undercut it. Rogers is picking Videotron not as a maverick competitor that's going to come in and, and disrupt the marketplace. It's inviting Videotron into the cozy club of companies who charge high prices, offer just enough data 
to people who can afford it and tough luck to those who can't. And I don't think that we're going to see anything marvelous come out of this deal on the consumer side, unfortunately, despite the hopeful predictions of the competition tribunal. And the reason why Leotron would be an acceptable new competitor, if you will, that that Rogers tolerates if they have to divest themselves of some of their wireless customers is because they're a cable based, like they're an, a wireline based stable company, as you say, with that structure, sort of the same structure as Rogers has, which is, you know, they're not trying to fight tooth and nail for customers and lower prices hard on wireless because they're selling just wireless. That's what you mean by, by a Maverick, right? It's a wireless only company that might come in and really have to work hard about about getting prices down in order to get new customers and therefore would likely drive the big guys to start cutting prices to match theirs where they would lose a number of uh, of their own customers to this new to this new entity. And one thing I did want to mention that doesn't really come out in the competition tribunal decision. It's quite interesting. Like they do not mention any of the other people who tried to buy this because there were a number of companies that wanted to get in and get the freedom stuff you know there there were a number of people who who made bids and one of them of course being quite loud about it is the globalized people and and they even said how much they offered which was you know 900 million more than quebec or is going to buy these assets for so i didn't see anywhere in the competition tribunal them addressing the idea that this arrangement which as you say was negotiated by rogers with the participation of videotron so presumably both parties are happy um and they were both arguing on the same team at the tribunal hearing um you know they didn't get any questions it seems from people in the hearing or from any mention in the tribunal that what about other companies that might have wanted to come in who were pure play wireless people is this deal preventing competition because it's preventing a new entrant with a new business model from coming into the market and really shaking things up. Yeah, I think that's a crucial point, John. You know, Rogers accepted from Videotron a bid that was nearly a billion dollars less than a different company that came in. And that wasn't because they're generous. You know, I'm reading this decision here and there's this interesting section where the tribunal is weighing whether Videotron will be able to come in and offer bundles of internet and mobile service to people that matches right. what Shaw is today. And they're saying Videotron's representative explained that its bundled offerings would be essentially the opposite of Shaw's approach. Whereas Shaw Mobile combines relatively expensive wireless service, wireline services with very low priced wireless services, indeed as low as $0, and then they redact Videotron strategy. But if it's exactly the opposite of that, uh, you know, then they're basically saying that Videotron's going to come in and raise up the wireless prices that Shaw's offering to customers. And then presumably if they can offer wireline services somehow in the same area, they they will try to put those at a lower price to get a wireline foothold. That's right. Now, that's interesting because much was made also in this competition tribunal decision, including in the information note, the infamous information note, which came out on the 29th of December, that... Um, that Videotron would be in an excellent position to be basically a a carrier like Shaw outside of Quebec because they had bought V Media and and Bell had bought Distributel and and others had been buying these um, mid sized to small 
wireline competitors that were trying to do all the services. So home phone and home internet. Yeah. So they had, they had bought V media so they could offer uh home phone and home internet wireline and um, television in certain markets where V media was operating, which I guess was the whole country, although they probably had more customers in Ontario and Quebec um, than other parts of the country. And I just thought, isn't that kind of like piling two anti-competitive deals on and saying, look at how, you know, the it's a good thing we had those little anti-competitive deals because they're going to support this bigger anti-competitive deal. It just, the reasoning, like I, I didn't see how that wasn't somewhat shameful to say that that the V media deal, which to be fair, hasn't been challenged. I don't think by the competition bureau, although they still have a year right to do so um, that that's somehow, yeah, a, a good outcome of that will be that it lets, it lets Videotron offer all services outside of Quebec. Uh, I don't know. Like just something wrong about that. <laughs> it's a death of a thousand cuts of competition in this country in telecommunications. I'm afraid, you know, and I think you're, you're exactly right. The references to, well, Bell spot up Distributel and Videotron spot up B Media. Well, these companies have all bought each other up already. And so the only way to let them compete is to keep buying each other up. And then where where does that lead us ultimately to a view of competition in which we have one or two? It brings us back to a stable oligopoly with some marginal players on the edge. Right, because that's what we got before and after, and that's the crux of the competition tribunal's decision at a very, very high level. Is like, well, you're going to have 95 percent or 90 percent of the wireless customers in three companies, and then 10 percent that other other little squibs fight over before and after this deal. What are you complaining about? <laughs> you know, like, and and that that indicates to me that you know if you can get your market in Canada up to a stable oligopoly of about a third, a third, a third, with maybe a few marginal players then anybody who sticks their neck up, you just buy them, right? You just buy them and then they're gone. Any established company in a related market that starts to stick their neck into wireless, like Freedom did through the back door with, or Shaw did through the back door with Freedom, which they got from Wind, um, then same thing. You just cut the head off when it gets to be sticking up too high. <laughs> and and you roll it into the the oligopoly. And if, if you get the whistle blown on you as maybe sort of here, then you just give it back to a different similarly structured, you know, company. And, and it's, it's the same and you can try it out again and again. Like what if this thing in some fashion is denied again, either because champagne won't approve the spectrum transfer to Videotron or let's say the federal court of appeal somehow finds for the competition commissioner. Won't Rogers just turn around and find a different suitor and try to hand it to them? Because the logic seems to be perfect. Like you cannot, if the test is simply that you you have a market at the end that looks eh, just about as good as it did before, not that much worse, which is basically the test in Canada for preserving competition, then they'll find someone else. I mean, there's still Kojiko. <laughs> there's still, you know, like, I don't know. Um, there's still Eastlink. They could try a couple more things out. You know, it's it's interesting to me, John, that you're raising this from the perspective of the, the the test for competition. The test for competition is relatively new to me, at least in the, the sort of getting down into the weeds of it. And the perspective that I've always taken when looking at these things is the sort of broader communication perspective that we have in the country. We have the Broadcasting Act. We have the Telecommunications Act. We have the Radio Communications Act. You know, this statutory scheme, right, of interconnected 
statutes that are supposed to be read in a way that doesn't conflict with each other. Yet here we have a, a decision coming out of the competition tribunal and competition law. It uses very narrow analytical tools uh, that has a, a sort of narrow track of outcomes that it can deliver, completely undermining uh, a lot of the outcomes and potential sort of uh, avenues for policy reform that have been doggedly pursued through these other legislative instruments. You know, so the, the Competition Act is setting up the failure of 10 years of policy that wants more competition in mobile markets. You know, it's by agreeing to allow Rogers to prop Videotron up with a sweetheart deal, I think it's undermining the policy CRTC has been working towards for competition in internet based on wholesale. And so it's, to me, really, if you look at it from the perspective just of the competition law, uh, then perhaps there aren't that many options. And it seems like this this is inevitable. It'll just go to someone else if it doesn't go to Rogers. But the whole thing just looks like a giant mess to me if you try and look at it as a whole, because one hand doesn't only not know what the other one's doing. It's actively sort of restraining the other one or swatting it away as it tries to <laughs> grab it at its goal. Yeah. Actually, I've got two things to say about that. First thing is I'm going to push back on you a little bit by saying the CRTC was setting up a certain competitive outcome to try to improve wireless. I mean, I know they think they're doing that, but they have a funny way of doing it because the the wireless decision, which folks on the, who have listened to the podcast have heard us complain about already because of the lack of MVNOs, so you know, uh, mobile virtual network operators, isn't really an MVO decision. It's a not MVNO decision. You have to be a not MVNO to take part in <laughs> take part in it. The CRTC did that. And then, as you mentioned, the wholesale internet, that's the wireline internet for the folks at home, is the CRTC made a hash of that. And it's so badly that effectively Distributel had to sell and Ebox had to sell and V Media had to sell because there's no money in it anymore. And Tech Savvy's probably on the ropes right now. I think I saw an article about that yesterday. In any case, to me, this competition tribunal decision is also supported by a sort of a Frankenstein stitched together of bad regulatory mismatches and decisions in particular from the CRTC. I blame them quite a bit for this decision because of those two things I just said. So, you know, they set the table for this one. It's true that they don't have any, um, any say in telecom mergers, but boy, they can sure set up the conditions for when that does happen. So firstly, I wanted to say that. And then secondly, I do agree with you, though, that the competition law is not capable when there is a question where policy is advanced even a millimeter one way, or at least the CRTC and the minister mouth, you know, platitudes about lower wireless prices and lower internet prices. When it when something comes along that probably is going to challenge that, that they all kind of wash their hands and and they they say, oh, well, we can't do anything. CRTC chair, I was listening to a podcast with him today. He was quite happy to say, oh, well, we don't do mergers. We didn't have anything to do with that. You know, we just looked at the broadcasting stuff and we thought that part was okay. And uh, and we don't deal with tribunals. That's competition law. And then the minister could say, oh, that's competition law too. I'm waiting for the tribunal to decide. I just do spectrum. I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> it's a... There's, a, there's an ability to pass the hot potato or pass the buck in Canada, which is is so flexible that that you you end up with a determined 
set of corporate lawyers who want to do a merger basically finding a path through any any resistance in any one of those points. So at any one time, CRTC might stand up to them or the minister or the competition bureau or even the tribunal, but they'll find a way around it because they've got a path through the other two or three ways, it seems. And they make it sound like, oh, well, we've got to satisfy these three regulators. But to me, it's like, no, they play them off against each other. And they've done a not a great job of it because they took two years to get this far, but that's what's going on. I don't know if that's too abstract, but is that the point you were trying to make is that the pieces don't seem to mesh together and the Competition Act doesn't seem to be supporting the Telecom Act and the minister's powers if they were trying to stop this thing? Even leaving aside what you rightly point out that this, it, you know it's a mess at the CRTC and their professed goals uh, are, don't always line up with what they're actually doing or the outcomes of their policies, even, even if you set that aside then this this decision is sort of like kicking the CRTC when it when it's down, right? And it's making sure that even if those policies worked the way they were supposed to, they'd still have to countenance this uh, opposing force. You know, you said that the table was set. I just watched this movie on Disney Plus called The Menu, starring Ralph Fiennes. And I don't want to give any spoilers. It was about high-scale restaurant meal gone bad, and the diners didn't get what they were bargaining for. I think that's just exactly what we've We've got here. It's a mess. I think I know what you're referring to. Yeah. Well, I I, I did want to take this up a notch to the political level and the competition law level because we're kind of rounding out the episode now, and I want to save a little bit at the end to discuss something else. But um, the competition law that's being used by the competition commissioner right now to try to stop the deal, I, you you were referring to it, and I I guess I should be fair to people and say what it is. It's basically if the deal would substantially lessen or prevent competition, then the deal can be blocked. That's the test. It's from Section 92 of the Competition Act, if you want to look it up. And there's some factors in Section 93, whatever. That's the bottom line. And the one thing I did want to say from the Competition Tribunal decision is they, I think, are very assiduously trying to avoid talking much about prevention of competition which is an issue which is still, I think, open a crack, even at the Supreme Court of Canada for the lawyers in the audience. This is the Tervita case, which the competition commissioner doesn't like because it makes them do lots of things like prove, you know, on a quantitative basis, whether, you know, the company's claims of efficiencies aren't going to be, and it it, it puts a, a sort of a, a tough test for them on uh, seeing the future in terms of what the markets will look like. But in that case, in the Trevita case from the Supreme Court of Canada, they did say, you know, prevention of competition probably includes new competitors you don't even know about if there's a credible one. And I think in this case, like with Global Live and people like that, there really were those types of people. And Trevita left that open. And yet in this competition tribunal decision, the main judge, who's obviously written the decision, is quite careful to quote everything except that part of Trevita <laughs> because... Uh, like he stops one paragraph short, paragraph 54 for those following at home. And paragraph 55 says, well, prevention might include keeping out a maverick. <laughs> and you're like, hmm, it's interesting you didn't want to talk about that. And so that's one thing I did want to say about the, comp- you know, a fine detail about the competition stuff. So there's, to me, an issue that we're going to hear about from the Federal Court of Appeal about whether prevention in this case is bigger than 
because like Rogers and Shaw are going to argue, well, there's no prevention here. Look, we've got another competitor who's willing to take over and it's all good, right? Whereas prevention, if you take a wider view in terms of improving the market, letting new people in to give it some dynamism and lower prices, I, I, th- I think you can you can make an argument on that and I'll be interested in seeing what's going on with that. On a higher, higher level, we never got to that dispute, which Piac is, it's our bugbear here about efficiencies, because apparently they spend a lot of time, you can tell me, Ben, if you heard them talking about this, about the efficiencies defense and whether the combination of Rogers and Shaw will save Rogers so much money that in the in the grand scale of things, that's better for Rogers and therefore for the Canadian economy than any detriment to consumers, which is weirdly the test that lets you... It lets you can complete the merger even if there is lessening of competition. But the competition tribunal tried to avoid having to to make that decision, so that the efficiencies defense wasn't their only their only excuse for approving the merger. So I don't know if you have any comment on those two fine competition law points before we zoom out to the political and you know big competition law points. Were there any things in the decision that you noticed, or were those the things that? That seemed weird to you because those are the two that caught my eye in reading it from a competition law point of view. Well, I'm I'm a lay person, so uh, I can only comment from the perspective of someone who reads the law in, in its plain English language. And I think on prevention, to me, it struck me on the substance of it that there was a lot of discussion of 5G networks in this okay. decision yeah. and in in the, the trial leading up to it when it served the purpose of justifying the decision. But I didn't see a lot of understanding of what that is. You know, I think we're, we, we've only really seen the tip of the iceberg and the way that it's discussed is held up as this, this totem 5G is the next thing. Yeah. But uh, in in sort of, you know, they, they didn't discuss the wireline component of this merger, but I think that it largely it's about setting Rogers up to dominate the market for 5G, which at present means faster internet speeds, but in the future, I think it means connecting cars and opening new markets, right? So right. to the extent that Roger is buying up Shaw's cable in this merger, places it in a position to be dominant over an emerging market. I think there's an argument to be made that it's setting itself up to prevent competition, but that facet of it doesn't seem to have attracted a whole lot of discussion, at least in the decision. Yeah, the uh, competition commissioner didn't didn't argue that the, the combination of Rogers and Shaw on the wireline services was anti-competitive, which I kind of think was a mistake myself, partly for the reasons you gave and partly for lots of historical reasons. It came close to it, but I think that it uh, it lost out in favor of the sort of more obvious things, consumer-facing bundled pricing, and uh, the, the price of mobile services, how much is Videotron going to offer its gigabytes for versus how much did Shaw and less of these sort of harder to quantify things. And that brings us into this thing about efficiencies, where I, I never really saw this this trial as being about efficiencies, except for what, in my view, is a sort of misplaced idea that companies saving themselves money uh, could potentially override their ability to raise prices, right? I think the theory is relatively straightforward, that if the efficiency outweighs the price increase, then perhaps the company would drop its prices below the existing level and uh, pass the savings on to consumers while at the same time earning a greater return. I don't think mm. that's how it plays out in reality. No, you know, I, th- I think we we have plenty of evidence, in particular in these markets, and uh, you know, it, hardly a day goes by it doesn't feature some missive about Gale and Weston and Loblaws and Shoppers Drug Mart gouging consumers. You know, I think to me it seems fairly obvious that 
in a country like Canada, where so much of our industry is controlled by oligopolies in possession of individual, unilateral, or collective market power, the idea that they would pass the savings on to consumers is uh, a real slap in the face. I would like to see in this upcoming consultation on competition, I'm looking forward to people who are more uh, knowledgeable about the legal niceties discussing the merits of this. But uh, in the particular case, uh, it, it, I, don't, I don't think it was ever about that. Well, uh, you mentioned the review of the Competition Act, and so people should know that's going on. And if you want to comment, you have until the 27th of February to go to the Competition Bureau's website and uh, and uh, and follow along with the Competition Review. Um, or maybe it's actually on the ISED website, isn't it, where they're reviewing the Competition Act and there's a public consultation. Anyway, Google it, you'll find it. And um, they're taking comments. Uh, yes, we are going to comment as PIAC using this case, Rogers and Shaw in the previous Bell and MTS merger, which I know you're familiar with, Ben, <laughs> as case examples of, of how things are not working out. It's interesting because the denouement of the Bell MTS thing people may not realize is that finally ExploreNet has walked away from the wireless uh, in in Manitoba. And I believe that all that spectrum that they have and such is going up for auction or something. So maybe somebody will get in there, which would be fun. Uh -huh. If you got some new competitor in Manitoba, that would be cool. Um, but I suspect we were able to peel back some of the redactions. We might have an idea of who that would be. <laughs> maybe, maybe, or one of them. But what what I think is interesting to, to draw a parallel between both the, the Bell getting MTS and this deal is, you know, in both cases, they've they've drummed up a competitor. Now, Videotron is probably more staying power than perhaps ExploreNet seemed to have. And they had different challenges, I understand, and all that, to be fair to ExploreNet. But um, but they're both kind of the same. Like it's 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 a chosen competitor, which I find just like wild that, that the outcome of our competition law is if you're trying to do a deal, a mega deal in Canada, you try to do the whole thing. And if the competition bureau or somebody squeaks and pushes back, you just find a, a dance partner and you give them part of it, the least amount you can, probably the weakest one you can find ideally. But if you have to give it to somebody who's a quote unquote real competitor, you give it to somebody who kind of operates in a smaller part of the market or more regionally distant or whatever from the, the big money people. And <clears throat> you cross your fingers and wait for them to try it for a while and then sell it back to you later. And I just, I, or, you know, or marginalize them. And then you continue with your present market share. And that in Canada, at least, has been shown by many studies, I think, to produce a fairly high pricing level in a lot of services. And so like that seems to be exactly like it, it, they're so similar. It's uncanny at that level, you know, the, the two deals, the outcomes. And I, I just find it wild. So we're certainly going to mention that in our comments to the Competition Bureau. And if, you know, if consumers are unhappy, they think that this is just another one of these like feel free, please put your comments in or, or, or contact your MP because this is a federal matter. And you, if you're unhappy, you can talk to your MP and they bring, they bring their, um, their power and their weight to this, this question too. But just on the, like a political, political level, cause I know you're, you follow politics probably much more than me, Ben, but does this not seem like a little bit embarrassing to the liberal government? Because it's been such a, a stumble bumble for the last two years for Rogers, you know, you know, fighting with each other and then having this huge outage and not really caring or, you know, at least from my point of view, and the minister not calling them on that. And they've, they've stumbled their way to the finish line here. And and now they're having this fight with the competition commissioner and it's probably all going to eventually finish. But it's been embarrassing. And 
like how can the government not have to take some responsibility if this does get approved for being the ones on the watch when a huge mega deal goes through and probably it's going to from my point of view at least in my opinion going to lead to higher prices for people for like the next decade like would you not want to as minister kind of like say well you know we've watched this whole drama play out and i didn't want to get involved but at the end here i'm going to say no like is there not a wouldn't that be a better way to be politically savvy about this than just to pretend it's not happening or do you think the liberals are really going to just say try to blame it on the regulatory people and and wash their hands of it. I think it's even worse, John. I think I, rather than embarrassed, I would say shameful. That bad, huh? I think it's shameful that when Bell bought MTS, the statement released by the Minister of Industry at the time, Navdi Gaines, trumpeted the decision as one that would result in more competition for people in Manitoba. I think that that sort of Orwellian doublespeak is what we will likely see in this upcoming hearing from the minister, they'll find a way of painting this as really in the benefit of consumers. You know, the minister has stood up and sternly told them that, that they can't have their merger unless the price comes down by 20%. They better not just be doing this in the short term because they have to hold on to the license for 10 years. But the present mm-hmm. minister isn't going to be the minister in 10 years. I think he hopes he'll be the prime minister. We'll see. But uh, in any case, I don't think there's anything that's really going to hold the government to account. Uh, telecom is not going to uh, be the top amongst uh, the things that they're using to count their potential votes in whatever upcoming election we have. And for the most part, it's just going to be business as usual. I really think it's shameful that this type of thing seems to be happening on repeat and that there's substantially no consequence for the people who uh, allow these types of things to go ahead. So what's the solution then? That Is the solution to go back to the regulatory and competition authorities and and toughen them up? Yeah, I think I get, I'm pretty tired at this point of telling people to write into these consultations. I'm pretty tired of doing <laughs> it myself. Yeah, But, uh, you know, I think that when an opportunity presents itself, when you see something like this, a system that is supposed to be protecting the public and serving the public, actually serving private interests, uh, I don't really know what other option there is other than to take whatever opportunity you can uh, to help change that. And to the extent that this consultation is sort of boring, but happening in the background, uh, regular people should write into it and express their dissatisfaction. And experts who have insights about practical solutions should write in. And I hope uh, that such a flagrantly bad outcome as the Roger Shaw merger might at bare minimum, act as a motivating factor for some people who might not have otherwise sat up and taken action to do so. I'm kind of cynical at this at this point. I've been <laughs> yeah. I've been in this in this space for a decade, but I think that uh, you know things have to get worse before they get better. How much worse can they get? Well, let's find out when Bell decides to try and merge with Telus. Well, yeah, this is the last thing. I was wondering if you were going to go there. It's like. So this deal goes through. We're not done here, people. I might retire, but Ben, you still got a few years, my friend. So um, something's going to happen after this rearrangement. And certainly the uh, the money people in Toronto have already started talking about, well, how will the deck chairs be rearranged if Rogers gets bigger now? Because it, obviously, who's left? <laughs> Bell and Telus are the only two on the telco side that are left to merge unless they try to eat Saskatel, which doesn't, it's so small, it probably doesn't matter. And, and certainly Saskatchewan people are quite justly proud of having their own, you know, 
independent telecom and so they won't let it happen but that's the only deal making to do like who's left i suppose east link and kojiko could get together and maybe cobble together something with videotron to get even bigger but they never have seemed to have an appetite to do that and they're also cable based so i would think it's going to lead inevitably to to a pretty good argument for for telus and bell to at some point join together (laughs) is that a real prospect because that's that's a different order of magnitude even than this deal yeah i mean i'm not predicting that it's going to happen right away but i think it's certainly people and as long as i've been studying this people have been speculating that that might happen and you know i mean i think beyond now what's the solution to this thing in terms of political tactics yeah right your mp participating in the consultations but if we take a sort of broader longer term look at this type of thing is what happens once the industry becomes so concentrated uh, that it's controlled by only a few companies? Well, historically, you've seen things like regulated monopoly, right? If you can't beat them, join them. And I think instead of talking about SaskTel getting eaten by Bell and Telus, I, I would like to see SaskTel do the eating. You know, I'm here in Manitoba. We have a crown corporation mm-hmm. uh, that provides people with hydro. SaskTel is a crown corporation yep. that provides people with uh, uh, telecom services, as I understand, they do quite a nice job, you know, unlimited services, uh, good service in rural areas, those types of things. So sort of leaving the day-to-day like political tactics and strategy aside, I think if this thing starts moving in that direction over the long term to a more and more concentrated industry, I think we should be thinking about these, these types of structural differences. This is a public utility. Private sector will only ever take it so far. Other countries around the world, Australia has nationalized their broadband network. Uh, we have it on a smaller scale in some places in Canada. And so if we want to talk about long-term solutions to these types of problems that have been attended to private control over telecommunications in Canada, um, maybe we need to start seriously talking about uh, making it a citizen's concern as opposed to a consumer one. Sorry, that's I had to get that off my chest. You know, <laughs> No, I, I would like to have a community-based or... Um... A public interest-based or nationally owned solution or or a nationalized backbone with you know structural separation or whatever all the fancy words are for for some level of public ownership and i think long term that's really the only counterweight to the to the i guess i'll call it the capitalist privately owned communications uh means of communication if you will but but that you know that is uh that is something that takes a lot of organization from the from the ground up and and some some more visionary governments which i haven't seen a lot of in canada so, so that might be longer term in terms of short mm-hmm. to medium term for consumers though I, I i honestly really do think that despite all the claims of the competition tribunal and the parties involved here that you're probably going to have something for the very short term that looks quite similar to how freedom did operate and Videotron might make a go of it for a while, but really long-term, not that different. So I'm sorry, folks, but your your prices for wireless are going to stay the same or maybe go up a little bit. If if you can find a deal that's better on on data because you threaten to, to switch, you know, you'll have to do the work yourself. But in terms of broadly across the economy, retail, wireless, or internet services, being you know prices being driven down in in order to allow you to do other stuff with your money or other stuff in the economy if you're a small business it's not going to happen it's a decade now easy of the same old same old so the 20 
20s are going to look very like the 2010s to me. Same, same pricing, same people involved, you know, slight deck chair arrangement here, but I'm sorry to, to burst your bubble. There's, there's, I really see no hope on the horizon unless some, some very major foreign player comes in and is allowed to come in and somehow uh, inject a new, a new model. Unless, unless, you know, some very enterprising person, yeah, sneaks in in Manitoba and starts, starts a little uh, competitor that takes, takes off and takes fire and, and then they can, you know, greenfield it out from there or something. That would be cool. But um, it's going to be, it's going to be at least a few years of, of no hope folks um, for, for your particular, you know, run of the mill, big three cell phone companies. I don't see them having any particular competitive pressure, which I guess puts me, it puts me at odd with, with the conclusion of the competition tribunal. Cause I think that, well, I guess competition in my view on one view is, is reduced because we're not getting these new options and on another view it's just the same so if our test is that if, if it's the same no harm no foul then well it's just the same and you know hello canada we're we're back in the same boat but that's you're right it's getting depressing to always tell people that and as much as you scream it doesn't seem to matter so you know if we hadn't had the insurrection last year here in ottawa i'd say bring your cell phones up to parliament hill and throw them in the eternal flame or something but I, I don't recommend that right now. <laughs> They're kind of jumpy up there on the hill, but, uh, you know, but some sort of direct action at some point, I, I hope people will make this into a political issue because it doesn't seem to be going anywhere from the regulatory side. So it, I guess I'm a little depressed is what I'm saying. I, do you have any, do you have any uplifting words before I let you go, Ben? I got one last thing to do with the audience, but it's just for PIAC. Well, then it, yeah, no, I don't want to talk about this here to see chair. Um, <laughs> you don't? <laughs> no, I know. I don't I mean, either. I, I don't like doing ad hominem stuff. One of the lessons that comes out of this is uh, that you can't rely on the companies to help you. You can't rely on the government to help you. If you want to make sure you're not getting ripped off, uh, then you got to take it into your own hands. You know, you got to call your provider. You've got to be proactive about making sure um, that you have something that fits your needs and that other people aren't reaching their hands into your pockets. It's really the only thing you can do. So, I mean, I think it starts with people getting involved in their own lives and making sure that what they've got is uh, is something that matches their needs. Because if you just sort of are asleep at the switch and paying your bills on, uh, you know, the companies encourage you to do auto auto pay and stuff like that, pretty soon you'll notice that your bill's creeping up. So, I mean, it, 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 with respect to what can people do about this type of thing, the macro forces, I think, are on a track. It's not looking so hot. But, uh, you know, if you want to help yourself out, you ha- you're going to have to do it yourself. Well, and we'll try to help people if they have any gumption to do that. And um, and we'll see. Perhaps there's others out there that feel the same way and we can get them organized. Maybe I'll start a uh, a new instance on um, Mastodon for PIAC or for angry cell phone people or something and get you get you going um but but we'll have to see so in the meanwhile hang in there folks and uh ben i want to thank you very much for coming on and despite my somewhat scrambly um brain after uh, the holidays and then having to chug through these these twists and turns of competition law um to bring everybody up to date it was really great to have your your viewpoint so thanks thanks so much yeah thanks for having me john i always learn a lot listening to you talk about this so thanks. oh that's very kind thank you so as listeners know, we often do a, and I told you so, uh, segment at the end of our podcast, which is our chance to dunk on people that 
when we think we're right, and it seems that we are. And I do have one since the last podcast or the previous podcast, because I don't believe we did. I told you so last time and around, and that was the CBC licenses issue. Um, listeners may remember that the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and Radio Canada had to go to the CBC to ask for new licenses. And we had complained that they were trying to take their budget that they normally spend on TV and radio that most people listen to and move a lot of it to online programming with no real controls. And our concern was that regular TV and radio would be much impoverished and perhaps local news and other things would um, be much reduced. Well, we had concerns and independent producers had concerns. Uh, guilds had concerns. Large broadcasters had concerns that CBC would have more flexibility than they would in what they're allowed to broadcast under the private broadcaster's licenses. Many, many parties, 16 parties, in fact, said in petitions to the government that they would like to have this decision overturned. Well, we were right because we did win that one. And in late September, I know it's a while back, but I'm telling you now, we did have the uh, CBC licenses decision from the CRTC overturned, which has never happened before. Uh, and so therefore it was worth complaining. And we're hoping that when the new decision is heard, we can make sure that there's enough money in the kitty for your regular TV and radio from CBC, you know, and love, and it will continue for another five to seven years. Uh, and that there any extra money that CBC needs to do all their fancy podcasts and things online, they'll have to come up with from new appropriations from the government or otherwise from making money on their gem service or whatever they do. And that is something we'll have to re-argue. What's interesting is the CBC, the CBC, excuse me, the CRTC has not rescheduled the rehearing. So when a petition is brought to the government, then if they didn't, if they overturn the CRTC's decision, they send it back to be redecided. And the CRTC has not poked their head up to say they're going to rehear the decision. And it's been three months. So I find that suspicious and weird. And I just can't help but make one last comment on the chair of the CRTC's changing now to new a new chair as of January, Vicky Atrides, who used to work at the Competition Tribunal, Competition Bureau, excuse me. Um, I have met her in meetings with consumer groups before. Um, she seems great and uh, is very on the ball. So I expect she will be a great chair and I look forward to her chair personship. Things have changed at CRTC after all this time. And so we're somewhat hopeful from that. So I want to leave on, on a little boost and, and wish Ms. Atrides the best of luck. And, and I guess thank our previous chair for having been through a rather nasty period certainly no fun to be chair of CRTC during COVID. And, and uh, in this business, you know, everybody comes around that goes around. So I'm sure we'll be seeing him and uh, in the future and, and we're still here. So things haven't changed, but they have. So, uh, so we'll, we'll keep you up to date on whether the CRTC changes course, hopefully for the better in the, in the coming weeks and months. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of we fight for that. The Public Interest Advocacy Centre needs your help to keep making this show and to keep fighting for you. I'm John Lawford. See you next time for another round of consumer protection.